You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. President and founder of Outdoor Edge, David Block, is on the show. We discuss the beginnings of Outdoor Edge, replacement blade knives, staying innovative, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Tales from the Field, presented by Outdoor Edge. Stories, tips, tactics, and in-depth conversations coming to you from industry leaders. Let's get into the show. Today, we have the owner of Outdoor Edge, David Block, on the podcast. How are you doing today, Dave? Hey, great to be here. Good uh, good visit with you, Zach. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we spent a little bit of time in uh, Kansas chasing around some cagey whitetails last year and got to know each other a little bit. Um, but we never talked at all about the story behind you and Outdoor Edge. So I figured today it would be kind of kind of great to discuss the your background and and why knives you know why outdoor edge and and just kind of learn where the brand and the company came from you bet no so it's uh been doing this for 32 years so there's definitely a story to tell so uh uh i think um Growing up as a kid, I always always loved knives. My grandfather was a, a knife collector and grew up with knives. I did um, did a lot of camping as a kid, did a lot of outdoor activities. I uh, was in, heavily involved in scouts, Cub Scouts uh, at the at the early end, and Weeblos and Boy Scouts and and summer camp. But always was fascinated by knives and loved knives. You know, being being a young boy, and when I was first, you know, taught responsibly in scouts on how to handle a knife and how you hand a knife to another person, how you safely open and close a knife. I thought that was the coolest thing being a little kid and being given the responsibility of handling this potentially dangerous, uh, dangerous item, you know, that could really hurt you. But being a little kid and and saying, Hey, we're going to teach you how to do it responsibly. So that was, that was awesome. I, 
instantly fell in love with knives as a kid from that. And yeah. uh, knives and hatchets and axes, anything with a sharp edge was just uh, just really floated my boat per se. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. So um, with that, um, always loved knives, always loved the outdoors. And um, interesting story I'm going to share is um, I grew up shooting a lot, shot a lot of guns as, as a kid in summer camp, shot a lot of bows. I did not come from a hunting family, so I never grew up hunting. And um, really, so uh, another interesting thing is that I was going to the, the origin of Outdoor Edge was really a college project. So I started Outdoor Edge right out of college. Um, I have to say that I was destined to become an entrepreneur. I always wanted to um, start my own business. I was always in jobs where I was involved in sales and dealing with the people. So I always liked, you know, uh, meeting with people, interacting with people. I like selling. And I wanted to invent my own product and then take it to market and go out and sell it. And lo and behold, it ended up being a knife. So, uh, so uh, I was going to engineering school and uh, story is, is for my senior design project, actually for my senior year, um, it was my last semester and I overlooked that I needed two more credits in my department to graduate. There were two more required credits and there was no two credit classes. They were all three credit classes. And, and they were hard classes. So my last year, I wanted to kind of take my word off, workload off a little bit. So um, the only two credit class started at eight in the morning, and I'm a bit of a night owl, so I didn't want to. Didn't think I would uh, make this eight a.m. class since I, I really uh, I usually started class at you know ten and, and went into the afternoon and <laughs> studied at night. So um, I went to my department head and said, "Hey, I have this idea for a knife design. Can I do this project for the final two credits?" And he was a hunter. He approved it and uh, and basically worked on the design of our original knife called the the Game Skinner. It was the first knife Outdoor Edge made 32 years ago, and um, basically turned it into a uh, engineering design project where I did a you know stress analysis on the steel and how strong it was and what what forces would break that that uh, T post in the handle and and different other aspects of the design, but um, turned my college project into uh, into a business. I basically graduated and had this knife idea, and then um, interesting story is Spiderco knives is based in Golden. I went to Colorado School of Mines in Golden, Colorado. Drove by Spiderco knives every day home from school. And as I developed this knife idea, I wanted to have it made. So I went into Spiderco and met with the president of Spiderco, Sal Glasser, and and told him I had this knife idea I wanted to make. And he says, oh, you want you want to get in the knife business, do you? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, it's really hard. You know, it's, there's a lot involved. And I said, well, 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 tell me. Tell me how to do it. Or tell me, you know, who can make this knife. And um, he, he really was, was a mentor to me. And he ended up putting me in contact with a very reputable factory in Japan that made high quality knives and um, kind of the rest the rest is kind of history I went uh, I connected with this factory and we designed the knife and got it in production and went to my first shot show which is the shooting hunting outdoor trade show went there in January of 1988 with uh, four prototypes actually my factory showed up too and he delivered two more prototypes at the show so I had six prototypes and hit the streets with uh, the game skinner um, I'll uh, tell you another quick uh, quick story. So that that show was in January, in February. I went to the Minnesota Deer Classic, which was a consumer show with my knife. And a guy came up to the booth and he goes, "I show him the knife." He goes, "What do you do?" 
I go, well, what do you mean? He says, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I, I have Outdoor Edge. I, I have this knife, and I'm selling the Game Skinner. He goes, dude, you, you can't make a living at that. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, I don't think I want to talk to you anymore, so go away. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, long story short, he was probably right. I probably couldn't make a living off selling one knife. So I made another knife and another one. And now, uh, 32 years later, we have about 130 different products in our line and, um, and have taken Outdoor Edge to a, you know, pretty prominent name in, in the hunting outdoor business. A lot of, a lot of hunters out there are using our knives and they're working good. And, uh, yeah, and just, uh, kind of, kind of the American success story started with one knife and an idea and, um, and here we are now. So, so that's uh, that's the that's the long history from 32 years ago. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I could imagine if somebody somebody comes up and they they go, you can't make the living at that. It probably just look at him and say, well, why don't you just stop looking at my knives, Mister? Yeah, like I drove here from Denver to Minnesota in the middle of winter, you know, to to sell this knife, and you're you're like. First of my bubble, buddy. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as as your ideas evolved and the company started to grow, um, in the earlier on stages of Outdoor Edge, what was one of the biggest hurdles that you feel you had to overcome to take Outdoor Edge to the next level? Yeah, one, one thing, starting your own business, financing is always an issue. Um, there's never enough money when you're starting your own business. So money was one thing. And then number two would be distribution. So, um, you know, now we sell our knives in all the major retailers like Cabela's, Bass Pro Sportsman's Warehouse. And those are big retailers, but they're very hard to open those doors. They're, you know, they, they really want you to be a popular brand. They want, you know, they want you to be, have good advertising and a proven product that's going to sell. So, so when we started out, we um, we didn't have any dealers. You know, we, we didn't have uh, stores selling our knives. And that was kind of my business model was to sell it to dealers, to sell it to consumers. Um, and and we didn't have dealers. So what I did is I did a lot of consumer shows. So I was doing uh, probably 15, 15 plus shows a year going to different um, sportsman shows, deer classics and whatnot. And I would go to a market and you know, let's say I'd sell 50 or 70 knives at that show and those knives went in the market and then the knife worked, you know, people liked it. So, uh, word of mouth advertising would spread and, and, uh, did also did wholesale shows too. So, so it just took time to, to, um, have dealers want to carry the product line. So I'd say financing and distribution are two of the biggest hurdles to starting a, a product sales company. And, you know, nowadays everything's changed with the internet and online sales and whatnot. But back then, um, you know, to, to really, we didn't have the internet at the, at the, at, you know, at the level it is now. So, so really the, the only way to really make a success with a product like that is through distribution and through stores and, and, uh, sporting goods chains. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I agree completely. I mean, you know, the, you know, the saying that, uh, uh, the thing about a graveyard is that all the good ideas that everybody has goes with them to the graveyard, you know, and, and that goes completely in line with, you know, what you're saying about how it, how it takes so much money, uh, to be able to get the idea from 
just that, the idea, right? And and so with that, that actually kind of brings up an interesting topic. Like what 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 kind of strategies did you use to uh, to approach maybe investors or to approach business partners or maybe you maybe you figure out a way to find the money another way like what kind of strategies did you use to find so, your idea so um I started with a little bit little bit of family uh, money my my grandmother helped me with uh some money and then uh, my dad uh, I actually went to him uh when I was was in a bind I needed more money to buy the next ship and knives from Japan and um and he said he was going to help me and then he found out that his mother, my grandmother, lent me this money. And he's like, oh, well, she already gave you money. I, I changed my mind. I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to loan you money. And the, the knives were uh, – the bill for the knives was due. Like I had to pay it or he was nice. going to ship me the knives. So um, this is uh, – I'll try to try to tell this briefly. But um, but basically I went uh, – I was um, – I trained. Uh, I was training martial arts. My karate instructor was a bocce chef at a uh, Japanese steak restaurant, and went there. And sitting at the table with me was was the president. He was the president of the Denver chapter of Safari Club International. And I met him, you know, at, at dinner. And he said, "No, it's really interesting." He was, you know, he was a big time hunter. And I told him about my knife company, and he was really interested. He said, well, let's let's go and have a one on one lunch. Um, and uh, I'd like to learn more about you. You know, I was had dinner with him and his, his two sons. And we had this lunch and told him what I was doing. And he said, well, if you ever need any financial help, uh, give me a call. And, and I said, oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. And, uh, and I actually was doing fine for a while. And then I was at this turning point that I was just explaining where I, I didn't have the, the funds to, to keep it going. And I called him up and, and said, you know, you know, we met a year ago. Um, you said that if I ever need any help, uh, give you a call. And, uh, we went and had a, had a second lunch a year later and, uh, just really fortunate. He was, um, an, another mentor father figure to me. And he gave me basically loans. The way we structured it was he would give me loans and I would buy the knives and then I would sell the knives and then I would pay him back. And then when more knives were made, he would lend me money again. So it was this, he was my lifeline. It was like, basically I would buy the knives, sell them, pay them back buy more knives, sell them, pay them back. And I did that. He, he basically gave me these loans for three years and no interest. Um, and, uh, got to the point where I had cash flow going, was able to, um, run the business without, without his loan. So, so his name was John Feast and he, he passed away about 20 years ago, but, um, it was just one of those milestones in the business where I had a big hurdle and, uh, one individual came to, came to my rescue and, let me take it to the next level. So that's so that's uh that was in the that was definitely in the earlier years. I I will add to that too that the first ten years of Outdoor Edge uh, was a struggle. You know, it was um, I worked out of my house. I shipped the knives out of the garage, and you know, classic entrepreneurial business, putting everything on the line with the with the hope and dream that one day it would be a success. A lot of you know, a lot of determination, a lot of hard work, and. Uh, you know, just believed in my idea and kept, kept going. Right. Right. So with, you know, when you kind of conceive, when you conceived the idea of a knife back then, you know, now it's obviously a little bit different story, but, and, and I want to get into that also, but back then, um, did you 
did you literally draw the knife, the, you know, picture of it up on a piece of paper or whatever, and then send it to some type of CAD shop to draw it and then make prototypes or what, what exactly, yeah. how did you get it out of your head and into their yeah, that's, hands? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I, so, um, you know, one of the things is, is as far as, um, my education, getting a, a degree, my degree was in mechanical engineering and metallurgy. And back then, uh, PCs were just starting to get popular. So as far as the CAD programs, there was CAD, there was AutoCAD back then, but didn't teach in school. Like I never learned AutoCAD in school. But what they did teach you is um, some really detailed drafting classes. So as far as um, as far as my education, learning how to draw and draft, and you know, I guess in summary, like learning how to communicate technical details. To a manufacturer, there was no better uh, degree that I could. There was no better course of study I could have followed. So, getting the engine, the engineering degree, gave me the tools to communicate technical details to a manufacturer. So, um, so I kind of had the tools to communicate to these factories what I wanted, and I did do, um, I did do basically um, mechanical, mechanical drawings with pencil and drawing tools, and then they converted it to to CAD where we could manufacture it. Um, so uh, that was that was really important because the thing is, is when you work with a factory, they're going to make a knife the way that they make a knife. And I want them to make it the way I want the knife to be made. So it's really important being able to communicate those small details. And when it comes to knives and manufacturing, it's, it's all small details. And I'm very, very meticulous with my designs and with what I want out of the design. So it's really, really important to be able to communicate those details to a factory. Yeah. So after, you know, after the, the design and everything of the night of each knife, how, how do you decide, you know, what say, what the handle is going to be made out of or what type of metal you're going to use or, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's so much stuff out there. How do you how do you decide which one you're going to use and and then obviously have to mash produce? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good question. So the the thing is 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 there are thousands upon thousands of knives out there, and knives are knives are people's passion. People love knives. So there's knives that are made purely for aesthetics and beauty, like they're just beautiful knives, but they're not really designed to be used. Um, and then, uh, you know, knives have evolved to become so, so specialty for specific uses. So, so the thing is, is ultimately, um, you want to basically uh, decide what that knife is going to be used for. What is the function? And there's so many details that go into making that knife perform um, optimal for that specific use. You know, is it going to be a slicing tool? Is it going to be a skinning knife? Is it going to be a chopping tool? Um, you know, blade length, blade grinding, um, heat treatment, um, you know, the geometry of how the, the blade is profiled, uh, the handle itself, uh, ergonomics, you know, how it how it fits your hand. So um, so all these details. But uh, when, when I design a knife, if you look at the Outridge line, um, I design purely for function. Function is number one. I want that knife to function as an extension of your hand. So basically, uh, with a knife, you put your hand in motion, and what your hand does translates to that blade. 
So a knife needs to be, you know, one ergonomic needs to fit your hand and it needs to fit not your hand, but everybody's hand. Right. So I try to come up with a, a, a one size fits all um, handle where I'm going to do, I'm going to shape the handle, but then I have, uh, I have women in my office, some, some more petite women and I'll, I'll make different prototypes, a different size, and I'll say, how does this one feel? How does this one feel? And and basically, they'll hand it, hand it off to someone with a bigger hand. So I'll, I'll basically come up with a couple renditions, and I'll come up with something that everyone likes, and everyone says, yeah, that fits my hand the best. So it's kind of a kind of a science to it to, to get that right shape and right size. But basically, when you get a really comfortable handle, um, all that force, all that motion that goes from your hand translates to that blade makes makes the knife cut better. Um, and with that, um, lots of other details. Again, I made it made it kind of a long list of details, but balance. The knife needs to be balanced very well. So for a skinning knife, uh, you're going to basically do a lot of arcuate strokes. So you want the balance to be right in the palm of your hand. Now, for a knife that you want to use for chopping, more for impacting, you want it to be more blade heavy. So you move that balance point further out in the blade. So it really, really comes down to what is the function of that knife and what it's going to be used for. And you use those, you know, design criteria in, in the design of the knife. So, um, you know, one, one knife that might be good for this, it's not good for that. So it's, it's not, uh, it's not one size fits all when it comes to knife design. So you really focus on the details to make that knife function optimal for that specific purpose. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because I mean, as soon as you started mentioning that, what automatically came into my mind was the the difference in say the Brush Demon and the Razor Max, right? Um, so great, great comparison. You know, as soon as you said something for chopping, I want it to be blade heavy, and I immediately was like, "Well, that sounds like the Brush Demon, and that's what you do with that thing—you chop," and and then. You know, you're like skinning, you want the weight to be more in the handle, you want to do exactly what the hand movement is doing. And I was thinking as, you know, I was literally thinking when I used that knife to skin out my South Dakota deer and also to cut meat at my house, and so I was thinking those two pretty well hit it right like it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, so my, my tip to you, when you go to, go to a store and pick out a knife, let's say you're going to buy a knife for skinning and field work, you know, Grip the handle, like grip it all different ways in your hand and make sure it's comfortable because you're always going to change your grip when you're working an animal. And then again, I I, I really uh, stress the point that the balance needs to be in your palm. If there's any weight coming forward into that blade, it's going to be clunky. It's going to be cumbersome to do those skinning strokes. Whereas if it's it's really balanced and the center of balance is in your palm, it's going to flow just like more like air. It's just going to flow in your hand and be easier to to change angles and then do those skinning cuts. So, so really, uh, depending on the application, two different, two different design, design criteria, you know, um, one thing you asked me about materials and whatnot. So, um, as far as steel, um, you need to have a good quality steel. We pick really good steels for our knives. We don't, we don't, uh, per se use super steels. When I say super steel, uh, um, I'm referring to kind of like uh, custom knife maker and aficionado knife knife nut type steels, and you know they may hold an edge longer, but they're also extremely hard to resharpen. They're also um, a more costly steel to purchase. They're more costly costly steel to grind because they're harder to grind, and and you may get 10% more edge retention out of that knife, 
But when you add all the other factors in, you have a knife that costs twice, you know, up to twice as much just by just by changing the steel to a, a very specialty steel. So we we generally use what I call bread and butter um, steels. So steel is one thing, and heat treatment is everything. So you can take the best steel out there. If you don't heat it, treat it correctly, you're never going to put an edge on it. It's never going to cut well. It's never going to be sharp. You're going to take an you can take an average steel, and heat treat it correctly. Follow the proper heat treatment con, uh, sequence, and you're going to have a razor sharp knife that cuts, holds an edge, and can be easily resharpened. So, so really the the heat treatment is the cookbook recipe. It's kind of like uh, I'll give you an analogy on that. Like think about baking a cake. So you take that cake and you you overcook it. You know you cook it. Uh, you dry it out. It's all crumbly and it's it's just crumbles and it's 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 not uh, it's not good at all. And then you undercook it and then it's all mushy and soft. But then when you get that cake and you cook it all right and all the the flour and sugar everything kind of binds together and you get the right structure, then you have a wonderful cake. Same same thing with steel. Steel is constructed of of, of grains and basically um, through the heat. Pre- uh, heat treatment process, it's how those grains grow and align and how the carboids form in the steel. Um, it's basically a cookbook recipe where you're following that heat sequence and you get optimal grain structure where you have strength. Um, you, you, you have also strength is one thing, but also ductility that the, the, the steel is flexible. Um, because if it's too too hard and too strong, then it's brittle. Then it'll crack. It also won't form a good good edge because as you try to form that edge, uh, it doesn't take that fine thin edge to it. So it's a it's several things combined. That proper heat treatment uh, process gives you really the 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 proper performance out of that, out of that blade. So so we use um, we use good steels. That, you know, if you look at the price of our knives, we don't make expensive knives. We make knives that that any any uh, average um, Hunter can afford, and uh, you're not going to pay a lot for an outdoors knife, but you're going to get a knife that's razor sharp and it's going to cut good and it's going to hold an edge. And when it's time to sharpen again, it's easy to put an edge on. Well, that that actually brings up the, a really great next talking point, <clears throat> and it was something that you brought to my attention when we were there in Kansas. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the fact that when it's time to touch up a blade or resharpen a blade. Uh, run your you know your thumbnail along the on the along the the red ridge of that knife and you can feel the little burr there and you had said all you really got to do is knock that burr off and it should be should be pretty much razor sharp again and (laughs) i laugh i laugh now because i remember i was going i was accounting you know i'm like 31 32 (laughs) and here you are you're like no all you need is like five or six and you're just like whoop whoop and it's like Razor sharp again, so um, maybe maybe go over a little bit of uh, resharpening sure. and and some some good practices for resharpening. <laughs> you you bet you bet. So um, my number one tip on, on on this topic is never use your knife to the point where it's really dull. So I'm going to compare this to a butcher shop or a, or a commercial meat packer. So a, a, in a commercial meat plant. They have the knife sharpened every day at the end of the day, but then they during the day they they have a steel, a butcher steel on their side, and 
they are hitting that steel every five minutes. And what the steel is doing, it's not removing metal. Uh, butcher steel does not sharpen the knife. What it does is it keeps the edge straight. So steel, again, I, I mentioned that it's made up of grains. Um, as you use the knife, and a knife that's really sharp comes to a very, very thin edge. Well, that thin metal at the edge is also um, is is having a lot of forces applied to it, you know, side forces, cutting forces, and the grains tend to, uh, they bend, they move, they move out of alignment. So, so basically, um, by hitting it with a steel, what you're doing is straightening that edge and keeping that, that fine V-shaped geometry at the edge. So, um, so a butcher is going to basically use his knife, he's going to cut, even when the knife is sharp, it's cutting great, just stop and and you know it's not really feasible in the field to carry a butcher steel, but um, we you know we make some draw through sharpeners, some uh, fine ceramic sharpeners. Uh, one's called the Edge X and the Edge X Pro, um, but it has a, two white uh, fine grit ceramic stones. They're set at the perfect angle of uh, 44 degrees, and what you do is use your knife, cut with it. Every five minutes, stop and draw it through that sharpener. Six six strokes through the fine ceramic, and you're not you're not sharpening. You're not you're not removing metal. You're just keeping the edge straight. And by doing that, you really your knife's going to hold an edge two two or three times longer than if you waited to the point when it's dull. Like everyone everyone knows a dull knife, and everyone hates sharpening. And really, when you have a dull knife, it it takes time. It takes a lot of work to really put that edge geometry back on it. And by maintaining your edge and constantly tuning it, you never let it get to the point where it's really dull. Gotcha. Yeah, I I am one of those people that I despise sharpening knives, and I am I'm so bad at them. And I can be I can be one hundred percent honest with you, Dave. Your knives have has not it's not helped me get better at sharpening because I just changed the blade. <laughs> <laughs> We kind of fixed that problem. It's, it's been uh, it's been a popular deal. Like, heck, I don't want to sharpen it. Just put a new blade in. There you yeah. go. There you go. It, that works. That works. So, and that's that's something there too. Is um, you know, I share this with people. Of course, we're in the replacement blade business, and we we do um, sell quite a few blades every year. But those blades, you you can sharpen them. It's very thin. It's got a very acute angle on it, and Again, if you use the same process, get one of those Dejec sharpeners and and draw through the blade every five minutes. You're 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 going to replace blades much less frequently. So probably just lost some blade business by that tip, but I really encourage people to to touch up your your uh, replacement blades. It it uh, it works it works really well. Sorry to interrupt this episode, but Outdoor Edge wanted to inform you of an absolutely huge giveaway that these guys are doing. If you've never been elk hunting before listen up because this giveaway is for you outdoor edge is giving away an elk hunt a five full day elk hunt where you get to ride a horse seven or eight miles to the back country sleep in a wall tent have a guide running you up and down the mountains trying to get you on elk and you're going to be hunting with the president and founder of outdoor edge david block this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so here's how you enter. All you have to do is go to OutdoorEdge.com and look on their homepage. They're going to have a little link that you have to click to enter this giveaway. It's in big, it's big wording. You can't miss it. Enter in some information, submit it, 
and you're automatically entered. There's nothing else you have to do. So outdooredge.com, fill it out, and you're entered. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, I know several people that do that exact same thing. I do it sometimes. You know, it depends where I am and what's going on, how big of a hurry I'm in. But uh, yeah, that's that's one thing that I've definitely noticed about your replacement blade knives for sure is, is you know, the blades are a little bit thicker than maybe some others on the market. And it, you know, it allows you to actually be able to reuse them uh, more frequently. So, uh, you know, I you know, don't, and, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. One of the things I was going to explain that about the, um, about our replacement blade knives, it's not just the fact that they're replaceable, but what makes them cut so good is that it actually is a razor blade. So just like uh, blade flay knives, if anyone out there has used a, a flay knife to cut up their deer or cut up fish, flay knives work so good because they're thin. Hunting knives generally are, are thick because you need a strong knife. Well, the, the, our replacement blades kind of cross both 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 areas in that you have the the black uh, uh, black oxide coated blade support, so it's kind of a sandwich support that gives you the the you know the strength of a regular knife, but then you're actually doing all your cutting with a thin razor blade. So that thin razor blade it, it just has much less friction than a regular knife, but then you have the backbone to support it. So it it really cuts different than than any other other knife out there. So it's kind of the best of both worlds where thin razor blade and and also a strong strong backbone behind it right so so that that brings up an excellent design uh topic you know with with other replacement blades on the market um what how did you come up with the idea to be you know think hey you know i i think that this this blade here is just going to be much more efficient if it's got kind of a backbone that we run the blade into to help support that blade and, and things like that. So what, yeah, what, where, you know, where did that idea come from? So, so I'll say that, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as the owner and designer of, of Outdoor Edge, everything we do is we try to do everything different. My goal is to make a better knife. Um, I'm not going to make, you know, we've made knives that are similar to some of our competitors and they've never been successful. So I'm always trying to, to really give the people a better product with improved function, improved performance. And, you know, at the time, uh, you know, we were kind of an emerging brand and uh, we had some popular products on the market. We had some combo sets like the Cody pack and we had the, the swing blade. Actually, we had the swing blade out for several years. It's a rotating um, blade knife with uh, drop point. Skinner on one side, gutting blade on the other, and it rotates back and forth. And that was that was our hottest selling um, hunting knife at the time. And then Havilon came on the scene. So Havilon was basically a medical supply company that makes the sharpest surgical uh, scalpel blades on the market. And I looked at that knife and I said, you know, that's that's really cool, but um, there's not a whole lot of blade there. So that you know, it's probably good for caping. I think taxidermists will like that maybe some hunting guides that want to cape out ahead, but I didn't really see a scalpel blade as a viable blade to really, you know, go to town and field dress and skin an animal. And that's where I was wrong. Now I Havilon made made an amazing success of taking their scalpel blade and really bring it to the people. And as I I would I would go into stores and I saw their assortment grow. I just saw their models like this wall of Havilon. And then I would go into hunting camp and guys were taking 
Avalon and I was in a hunting camp and I said, wow, these, I thought this was just a, a caping knife and, and I'm wrong. This is, this is really popular. People really like the fact that you have a knife that you don't sharpen and replace the blade. The two limitations there is their scalpel blades, they're really rather thin. They're 0.4 millimeters thin or, and, and they fracture rather easily. They're made for cutting and they're made for cutting very delicately. If you look at the handles on their knives, they're, they're pretty thin. Pretty minimal handle, so you don't want a, a beefy handle that you're going to put a lot of force in the blade because the blade snap. Once the blade snap, uh, the lock that holds that blade on, you have to actually flex the blade to remove it. So I heard all the the you know I've seen the battle scars and I've seen heard the stories from going to trade shows and people say say yeah man I use Havilon I love it I love it and it's like and they they tell me the story of how they you know, cut themselves open <laughs> by breaking a blade and having it lodged inside the body cavity. And they, they went in and tried to find it and then they found it and it got them really good. So, so, so really, um, long story short, there are two shortcomings of the Havilon I wanted to fix. And one was that the blades aren't strong and they snap easily. So I came up with the idea to come up with a, a sandwich support, a three layer support that basically in, encloses the blade itself and gives it that strength so the blade won't break. So that was that was number one. Number two, what I wanted to do was make the blades easy to exchange. So I was really focused on my my design goal was to push a button in the handle that would release the blade. So that's that's really the mother invention right there was a strong blade that wasn't going to snap, and then I could push a button in the handle to release the blade. So those two things combined. Is really the game changer behind the the razor light knife and the whole razor light series. They all use the same blade, uh, some blade style, blade locking mechanism, and um, you know we've turned it into, you know, it's been out for about seven years, and we've turned it out to a whole family of different knives, and now even different blade blade styles that that take that same locking mechanism. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Well, I you know I. Uh... I, I've really enjoyed your knives and, and like I say, it has definitely made it so I do not have to get good at sharpening them. But you know what, like, you know, let's be honest when, when I'm out in the field and even, even if I were good at it and it takes me uh, a couple minutes to, to resharpen, you know, the blade, I would just assume literally open that thing up. It's razor sharp. I can most likely do the entire deer and then fold it up. And then when I get home, I change the blade. I, now, yes, I absolutely take extra blades with me and they're so light that that's, that's one of the perks, right? The extra blades are pretty well lighter than any, um, any type of sharpening steel or stone that, that you can get out there. Um, there's some that are super light. I'm not, you know, somebody's going to jump on here and, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yes, there's some super, super light yeah. sharpening tools. Absolutely. Yeah. But, Conversely, the blades that you replace with are also super light. <laughs> so, no, um, no. When it, when it comes to the remote hunter, a guy that's going to go sheep hunting or backpack in the high country, every ounce counts. And you can you can carry one of our razor light ADCs and a few extra blades, and there's no task you can't accomplish. You know, if you've got a moose, you're going to skin out, out that whole moose and have sharp blades with minimal weight. So it's, it really is it really is a unique solution for the for the hunter there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with, with everything that we've discussed and having that many knives in your lineup, um, 
the struggle must be real to come up with something innovative every year, I would assume, right? <laughs> you said it. No, you said it. It's, it's always a challenge. You know, the thing is, is you're only as popular as your last success. And innovation drives the inter- industry and, and new drives the industry. You always need something new. And to be honest, I don't know, know where the ideas come from. They, I think they come, a lot of them come in the shower or, or out on the water fishing or, or just uh, – I really don't know where they come from, but they they just seem to come. And we do we don't come out with a, a ton of products every year. Um, you know, again, my focus for Outdoor Edge is really function driven. So I'm not just going to make a knife to make a new knife. I'm going to make a new knife because it's a solution to a problem and it's going to make people's lives easier. So so it's uh, always a challenge, but uh, the the new ideas keep coming. So I feel fortunate for that. Right. Absolutely. So. Um... Not getting too much into designs and everything like that, uh, but what what type of stuff can listeners be excited for and looking looking out for for Outdoor Edge to be you know coming out with? You bet. No, I'll give you a, give you a quick overview of that. So, um, you know, basically we've had the razor light on the market for seven years, and we've done everything with one blade style. Basically, it's a three and a half inch drop point blade. And people ask asked me over the years, well, are you going to come up with different styles of blades? And I said, well, what what can't you do with a three and a half inch drop point blade? Which seemed like a good answer at the time, <laughs> but uh, but long story short, uh, last year um, we came out with our first fixed blade replacement blade knife, and it's called the Razor Max. So fixed blade is one thing, but the real um, key feature there is that it has the three and a half inch drop point blade. But it also has a longer five-inch boning fillet blade, so that longer blade comes a little bit further out of the blade holder, another inch and a half out. So you really have a flexible tip. So you have a, you have a flexible boning um, fillet type blade, and then um, you know if you want to if you want to do your skinning field dressing, you put in the the skinning blade, and then if you want to do some deboning or cut some steaks, you put it switch to the five-inch boning blade. So that's that's the Razor Max now new for this year. Um, we came out with the razor bone and we came out with a third blade style, which is a gutting blade. So now with, you know, one of the, one of the main differences is the razor max is fixed blade. So with that five inch blade, it goes in a sheath. It's a, it's a sheath knife. Right. So with the razor bone, I took that five inch blade and turned it into a full size folder. So okay. now the five inch blade closes in the handle. So you have three and a half inch drop point blade. You have five inch boning fillet blade. And you have a gutting blade, so you have all three blades to to open the animal, you know, field dress, skin it, debone the meat. Um, it's super lightweight, and then it has a has a sheath that holds all your spare blades. It also has a molded blade box, so you're out in the field. You're going to use the gutting blade, the draw point, and the boning blade. Now you got three blades, and how do you pack them out? You got these exposed razor blades, so we made this molded box, and it'll hold one piece of each blade, so you can store the live blades in this box and carry everything out of the field. Use all three blades, carry them out safely, and all in a very lightweight, um, compact package. So that's uh, the new razor bone for this year. That's awesome. That sounds, that sounds like an awesome knife with a lot of innovation uh, and uh, allows you to do a little bit more than just, you know, having the fixed blade razor max like you were discussing. And, much like you and I've discussed before, especially for somebody that goes backpacking, uh, being able to fold that, fold it up and then put it in the backpack. 
that is, in my opinion, that's a huge bonus. Um, I absolutely love the Razor Max, and it feels great in the hand. Um, it, it's it's as far as how it feels in the hand, it's it's my favorite. I would say that the you that I've tested of your knives. Obviously, I haven't tested all 130 or 40, whatever, however many you said. <laughs> um, but out of the ones I've tested, it feels to me the best. And uh, the only thing, and I even told you, I said, "Man, that thing feels so great. I really wish I could fold it." And look at that. You went and. Right. Uh, you went and, and made that happen, so that's so cool. Yeah, generally, if it's if it's being asked for by a number of consumers, we're we're probably going to meet meet that uh, meet that request and and come up with some, give the people what they want, and uh, you know, really, ultimately, um, I call out the Reg the Field the Freezer Knife Company. You know, it, I I love hunting. I'm passionate about my hunting, but for me, that the real joy comes with you know processing the meat and and knowing that I harvested this animal and that I field dressed it properly. I cooled it. I cut it. I wrapped it. And then when I sit down with my family and have a delicious meal of venison, you know, fresh steaks off the grill, it, the, the hunt comes full circle. Sir, excuse me. The hunt comes full circle for me. And it's like sitting down for that meal with my family. It's like it just all comes together. And it's why we hunt. And it's why we enjoy, you know, the outdoors and and it's it's the whole experience and uh you know that's why cool thing about uh, you know you know outdoor edge makes a number of kits where you can process your game but they're 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 big kits in a in a hard case and with that razor bone really that that folding knife lightweight compact and and you can you know you can you can gut the animal you can skin the animal you can completely butcher it all with all with one knife so it's kind of the the field of Build a freezer solution with one knife, so pretty pretty cool yeah. on that. But um, but you know, it's as I say, we make a lot of different knives. We don't, we've never made a bad knife, but uh, it's uh, you know, some are more popular than others. And uh, you know, I think with uh, the some of the latest things that we've come out with, really, really just good solid tools that make the job easier for the for the hunters out there. And, and that's that's really my passion, just giving giving the people the tools they need to. Uh, once once the animal's down to get get the job done and get it done safe and easy yep absolutely and and then on top of that you're uh is you know as simple as it may sound you you're also making the outdoors a more enjoyable place let's be honest because i've been out there when i had a dull knife and i didn't have anything to resharpen it and there i was trying to do what i needed to do uh with a dull knife and um, if I would have had a sharp knife or replacement blade, much like you offer, um, not only would it have been way more enjoyable, but it would have taken way less time. So you're also handling that as well. And what I would love to do, Dave, is, is have you back on the podcast in the future and you and I can dive into, uh, what it takes to breaking down and processing animals and getting those from the field to the plate and some of the strategies and all that stuff that you use to make that happen as efficiently as possible. I think that would be a really great podcast. Yeah, we'd would love to love to jump back on and, and talk about proper field care, proper processing of the meat. It's it's the best protein out there and again really passionate about about uh the meat that we harvest and and enjoying it with the family. So I'd I'd love to discuss that with you. Awesome. Thank you for listening in. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. 
Don't forget about the all-inclusive elk hunt giveaway that can be found at OutdoorEdge.com slash elk hunt giveaway. We hope to have you tuning in for the next episode.